0: You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. A reading from Exodus 4. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and, And when he took it out, the skin was leprous; It had become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will hope both of you to speak, and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he was your mouth, and as if you were God to him but take this staff in your hand so you can perform signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt and then he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel, my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging pace on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Uh,
1: Brothers and sisters, uh, would you please pray with me and for me uh, as we look at God's word today? Let's pray. Uh, Our gracious Father, we pray you'd give us ears uh, this day to truly hear your word, uh, that we might learn from it, uh, that we might love it, uh, and that we might truly live it out uh, for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, Well, I wonder today uh, if you've got God on do not disturb do not disturb you, know that function on your phone, some of us use it sometimes, you put your phone on do not disturb, you're kind of saying to people, look I'm happy for you to be a part of my life, I'm happy for you to try and get in touch with me, I'm even happy to catch up with you when it's convenient for me, but right now I just don't want you disturbing what I've got going on. You know, I've got my to-do list, my agenda, my plans, my schemes, and I really don't want you disturbing that. Now, of course, there's sometimes some real wisdom in putting your phone on do not disturb. I'm not denying that. We all need to have wise boundaries. Uh, We need to do what it takes to be able to focus on a task at hand sometimes and not be interrupted from that. But I reckon, kind of spiritually speaking, some of us have God on do not disturb. We're kind of saying to God, God, I'm happy for you to be a part of my life. God, I'm happy for you to try and get in touch with me. I'm happy to take a message on my phone. I'm even happy to catch up with you, maybe to listen to you and talk with you every now and then when it's convenient for me. But there's one condition. You're not allowed to disturb what I've got going on in my life right now. I've got my hopes, my dreams, my plans, my ambitions, and I just don't want you messing them up. I wonder if you've got God on do not disturb. Uh, There was a little bit of that with Moses uh, when the Lord appeared to him at the burning bush in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. Moses, uh, of course his life in Midian wasn't perfect, I'm not saying that, but but, uh, it seems that he'd gotten really quite comfortable with it. Uh, And so uh, even though the Lord was calling him, uh, he was extremely reluctant The Lord had chosen him, the Lord was calling him, but Moses was full of excuses, full of objections, one after another, sometimes just downright stubborn. So what we see in Exodus chapter 4 today is how the Lord patiently answers and helps Moses, his chosen but reluctant servant. How the Lord patiently answers and helps Moses, his chosen but reluctant servant. So first, let's look at verses one to seventeen. That the first half of the passage, uh, where we see how the Lord patiently answers Moses. I had a look there uh, in verse one. Uh, sorry, yeah, we see how the Lord patiently answers Moses. I'm just picking up in my notes. So remember, uh, in in starting at the start of chapter four, we're really picking up from where we left off last week. The Lord's appeared to Moses at the burning bush. He's called Moses to to go to Egypt and to say to Pharaoh, let my people go into the wilderness and worship me. Uh, And Moses is already thinking of all his excuses. Uh, So in chapter 3, verse 11, uh, he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh uh, and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Uh, And God says to Moses, you're kind of missing the point there. You know, it's not so much about who you are. It's about who I am. And then in chapter 3, verse 13, Moses said, Well, suppose I do go uh, to the Israelites uh, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, uh, and they ask me, What is his name? Uh, Then what shall I tell them? So in the rest of the chapter, uh, the Lord patiently answers Moses again. Uh, He tells Moses what his name is, and he reveals to Moses the meaning of his name. But I mean, when we get to the start of chapter 4, Moses still isn't satisfied. So in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says to God, Well, what if, what if the people don't listen to me? What if the people don't listen to me? Look at verse 1 there. Uh, what if my people don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? And, of course, it's not like this is kind of completely unfounded for Moses. You remember back in chapter 2, he, he, he did have this sense of wanting to act as God's judge and redeemer uh, for his people in Egypt. Uh, but his people rejected him. Right? He had to flee to Midian. Uh, of course, the difference this time is that Moses is coming in the name of the Lord. Right, he is coming in God's timing, in God's ways, in, in God's power, right? not taking matters into his own hands as he did back in chapter 2. But his question here is, will the people recognise that? Right? Will they recognise that the Lord has appeared to him? So in verses 2 to 9, the Lord patiently gives Moses these three miraculous signs are signs that were designed to prove to the Israelites that the Lord had indeed appeared to Moses. So, firstly, in verses 2 to 5, we've got that sign of Moses' staff turning into a snake and then turning back into a staff. All three of these signs in a row are a sign of God's complete authority over all of his creation. And this is no different. right? Moses uh, is afraid of this snake. He he flees from the snake. Uh, But for God, the snake is just one small part of his creation. Uh, But in particular, this first sign is a sign of God's authority over good and evil in his creation. You remember, since Genesis chapter 3, the serpent has been a symbol uh, of the presence of evil in God's good creation. So Moses might uh, might be afraid of the evil of Egypt, uh, but God is not. God is sovereign over good and evil in His creation, and uh, in particular, He's sovereign over the evil of Egypt. Or you might remember, uh, perhaps you maybe have seen the, the movie The Prince of Egypt or other ancient studies of Egyptian society, and you see them. What does Egyptian royalty wear? But one of those kind of snake-like headdresses, like like a cobra. The snake is a symbol of the authority and power of Egypt. So you see what the Lord's saying to Moses in this sign. He's saying you might be tempted to flee from the evil of Egypt in fear, but I'm going to empower you to grab the evil of Egypt by the tail and I'm going to use them, the Lord says, to fulfill my plans and purposes for my people. Do not be afraid, the Lord says, for I am the Lord of good and evil, even over the evil of Egypt. And then in verses 6 and 7, we've got the second sign. Uh, The sign of Moses' hand becoming diseased inside his cloak, uh, maybe something like leprosy. Uh, And then the Lord says, put it back in your cloak, and it is whole again, it's healed, it's restored. Uh, This is a sign of the Lord's authority over sickness and health, over sickness and healing. That's significant. Some people will want to tell you that sickness comes from Satan and healing and health come from the Lord. As if that's some sort of comfort, that God's not in control over sickness and disease in his world. Far more comforting comforting for me to have a God who's in control of absolutely everything for whom there are no surprises, for whom he can send sickness and disease wherever he wants, and he can send health and healing wherever he wants. That's the point of this sign. The Lord is sovereign over everything in his world, over sickness and healing. I will see that he's sovereign over sickness when he sends the plague of boils upon the people of Egypt. In Exodus chapter 9. So the Lord is sovereign over good and evil. He's sovereign over sickness and healing. And then the Lord gives Moses this third sign. In verses 8 and 9, it's the sign of water turning into blood. So you see there in verse 8, the Lord says to Moses, uh, if they're not kind of persuaded by those first two signs, first of all, that, that's kind of a tough crowd, you know, not, not easily impressed. Uh, but second of all, what you should do, the Lord says, uh, is take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, uh, and it will become blood. Right, this is a symbol of the Lord's authority over life and death. Right? Because throughout the Bible, blood is a symbol of life and And death. Like the Lord, this is the Lord who has the power to turn the primary source of life for the Egyptians, right? The River Nile uh, into a source of death. This is the Lord who has the power to bring life and freedom to his people, and death and destruction uh, to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. This sign is a picture of the first plague that the Lord is going to send upon Egypt in Exodus 7, verses 14 to 24. It's a sign that this is the Lord over life and death. He gives life and He takes away life. So there's three signs. I am the Lord. I'm the Lord who's sovereign over good and evil, over sickness and health, uh, over life and death. Moses says to God, what if my people don't listen to me? And God patiently answers by giving him these three miraculous signs. And you might say to myself, and you might say to yourself rather, why doesn't the Lord give me miraculous signs when I'm not sure about what he's calling me to? Why doesn't the Lord do that? Well, you we do have to remember that the Lord doesn't give Moses these miraculous signs just as a kind of personal magic show. Uh, for his own guidance no, no, no. Uh, these three miraculous signs uh, are designed to be little signposts pointing towards the ultimate sign right the ultimate display of God's power uh, which is the exodus right it's in the exodus right in God redeeming his people from Egypt by the blood of the Passover Lamb right it's in the exodus and uh, that God's power uh, that we see kind of in miniature in these three miraculous signs uh, is put on full display. That's where God's power is really seen. And the people of Israel knew that. That's why in the rest of the Old Testament, the people of Israel are always reflecting and remembering and praying about it and singing about the Exodus. There's barely a mention of... They're not turning to one another, kind of going, Oh, do you remember that time when the Lord turned Moses' staff into a snake? They're not reflecting on that anywhere near as much as the ultimate sign of the Lord, the ultimate display of the Lord's power. And by his mighty hand, he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. In the same way, we shouldn't demand an extra little miraculous sign from the Lord every time we're unsure about what he's calling us to. Because in Christ, the ultimate Passover lamb, uh, who by his blood brought about the ultimate exodus, setting us free from slavery to sin. In Christ, uh, and his death on the cross, the Lord has given us the ultimate sign, the ultimate display of his power. Uh, so in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul can say, Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. The wisdom of God and the power of God. As I having asked, back in verse 1, what if my people don't listen to me? In verse 10, Moses asks, well, what if I don't speak well? Have a look in verse 10. He says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue." You see, Moses He's kind of saying, uh, surely if I'm going to gather together the the elders of Israel and address them and then confront Pharaoh in his royal courts, surely I've got to be able to speak pretty well. I've got to be eloquent. I've got to be able to argue persuasively. And Moses says, I've just never been like that. Literally, he says, I've never been a man of words. I'm heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue. And uh, now, perhaps all the speech pathologists listening are getting very excited about diagnosing Moses' problem. You know, I don't know. Maybe he had a tongue tie. Maybe he had a bit of a stutter that he could have benefited from the kind of wonders of modern speech pathology. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe he was just a bit rusty on his Egyptian because he'd been out in Midian for forty years. Or maybe he was just he spoke a bit more like a like a rough around the edges shepherd uh, than a foreign polished diplomat. Oh, I don't know what the problem was. But we do know how the Lord answers him. Look in verses 11 and 12. The Lord essentially says to Moses, So so let me get this straight. I've just told you that I'm the Lord over all creation, right? The Lord over good and evil, the Lord over sickness and health, the Lord over life and death. And you don't think I've got authority over every mouth and ear and eye? That's what the Lord says. He says, I give people the ability to hear. So I'll help them to listen to you. I give people the ability to speak. So I'll help you to speak to them. I give people the ability to see, to believe, to understand. I give sight to the blind, the Lord says. So I'll help people to see that I've appeared to you. You see, in this passage, throughout this whole conversation with God, Moses is focused on the wrong I. Moses is saying, I feel weak and inadequate and insufficient for the task that you're calling me to. And the Lord says, you're missing the point, Moses. You're not the I that matters here. I am the great I am. It is I, the Lord, that matters most. So stop focusing, Moses, on your own weakness and start focusing on my power. Stop thinking, Moses, that you're the main redeemer here. Right? Sure, I'm going to bring about my redemption in using you. But I'm the main redeemer, the Lord says. And if you feel weak and insufficient for the task that I'm calling you to, then all the better for me to display my power and my complete sufficiency. And I reckon lots of us feel a lot like Moses whenever we contemplate sharing our faith. I mostly feel like Moses every Sunday when I come to preach God's Word. Maybe you find that hard to believe, but every Sunday I feel weak and insufficient for the task. I say to the, I say to the Lord, well, what if the people don't listen well? And the Lord says, I've got it covered. You know, I kind of created their ears. I can help them to listen well. I say, well, what if I what if I misspeak and I stumble over my words and I'm not as engaging or persuasive as I could be? Yeah, and the Lord says, I created your tongue, Aaron. I can help you to speak. Oh, what if people don't understand and believe and see the glories of what I'm talking about? The Lord says, I'm the, I'm the Lord who gives sight to the blind. I'll help people to hear and understand and believe. That's some encouragement. The Lord promises to be with us and to help us, just as he promised to be with Moses. Now, in verse 10, if you look at verse 10, there's a little hint of Moses starting to just be a little bit disrespectful towards God. The hint is that Moses doesn't refer to God by the personal name, the Lord, right, Yahweh, uh, that, that, uh, the Lord revealed to him back in chapter three. You remember Adam talked about that last week. Small caps, Lord. That, that's uh, God's personal name. Uh, so God doesn't refer to, uh, Moses doesn't refer to God uh, by the Lord, small caps, uh, but by the much more generic term for God, Adonai. In, in our Bibles, it's capital L O R D. So there's a kind of subtle dissing of God in Moses here. And that really continues in in verse 13, uh, where Moses is really just downright stubborn and disrespectful. Uh, And he basically says to God, "Uh, well, fine, you've answered my every question, uh, but now I'm digging my heels in, would you please just send someone else? That's basically what he says. He's not uh, expressing any kind of genuine question to God. He's just being stubbornly... Uh, disrespectful, stubbornly refusing God. And that's why if you look at verse 14 uh, the Lord's getting angry with Moses. He's starting to get a bit fr- a bit frustrated. Thankfully for Moses our Lord is slow to anger. He's got a long fuse. So in verses 15 and 16 he patiently agrees to provide Moses with Aaron to act as his spokesman. Aaron, his brother. So if you look in verse 14, now this is a theme we'll explore more next week, but both Moses and Aaron are born into the tribe of Levi, right? The tribe, we saw this back when Moses was born in chapter 2. The tribe of Levi is the tribe uh, that is going to be set aside to be a priestly tribe, right? they're going to mediate between God and his people. And in verses 15 and 16, where we see that Moses and Aaron uh, are going to play different roles in mediating God's word to his people. Well, what's my Moses is going to receive God's words directly from God, and Aaron is then going to pass on the words he receives from Moses to God's people. So in verse 16, Moses is going to be like God for Aaron. So God has wonderfully and patiently answered Moses' every objection, even remaining patient with him when he's been downright stubborn. So by the end of verse 16, and despite all of his reluctance, all his excuses and objections, uh, Moses is ready to go to Egypt. And the Lord just says to him, make sure you take your staff with you. Verse 17. Why does Moses need his staff? And not because he's going to continue on with his work of shepherding in Midian, but because he's about to become the shepherd of Israel. And he's going to become the shepherd of Israel uh, as the Lord redeems his people uh, using the weak and humble instrument of Moses' staff. Right? The, the, the shepherd's staff uh, that would have been shameful to all of the Egyptians. You, you might remember uh, in the story of Joseph in Genesis 37 to 50, uh, the Israelites found their place in Egypt, uh, their role was to be shepherds. Why? Because the Egyptians detested shepherding. And the shepherding thing was just shameful to the Egyptians. Who would have thought that God would display his might and power through such a weak and shameful instrument as a shepherd's staff? And yet he does. In and through his chosen but reluctant servant, Moses. And of course this just points us towards the greater Moses, our Lord Jesus through whom the Lord displayed his power, not through the weak and humble instrument of a staff, but through the weak and humble instrument of the cross. Shameful, foolish, to Jews and Gentiles alike. And yet that's where the Lord's power was found. So Moses has asked God his every question, Uh, And the Lord has patiently answered him. Uh, That's the story of verses 1 to 17. Uh, The Lord has promised to be with Moses uh, and to help him every step of the way. Uh, And that's what we see in the second half of the chapter, uh, in verses 18 uh, to 31. Uh, First, in verse 18, uh, you see there that the Lord helps Moses by blessing him through Jethro. Now look at verse 18. Then Moses uh, went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, uh, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt uh, to see if any of them are still alive. And you might read that and think, what on earth is Moses talking about? Right? God didn't tell him to go back to Egypt to see if any of his people are still alive. Why would Moses say that? Uh, maybe because he's still a bit embarrassed to kind of share the full story of what's going on it's a, a pretty big deal the Lord's appeared to me in a burning bush and uh, maybe he just doesn't want to give Jethro all those details and uh, maybe because of verse 19 in verse 19 where we see that at the burning bush uh, the Lord had already told Moses uh, that all of his past enemies in Egypt were dead uh, so maybe Moses is thinking well if they're all dead uh, I wonder how many of my people are still alive Whatever the case, this interchange with Jethro is a massive blessing to Moses. a Moses, who clearly had great love and respect for his father-in-law, where we see that as Exodus unfolds. It was incredibly important to him to go with his father-in-law's blessing. And maybe there's something in that for us, for you, as you think about something the Lord might be calling you to. You really want to honour your parents in that situation. You want to seek their blessing. You want to ask for their advice. But even if they don't give their blessing, you want to obey the call of your Lord first and foremost. In such a way that it enables you to still honour and respect your parents. That's tricky. But our Lord Jesus does say to us in Matthew 10 verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. We're called to take up our cross and follow him. The Lord Jesus does call us to honour and respect our parents, to seek their blessing, as Moses receives Jethro's blessing in this passage. But then he calls us to follow him, to listen to his call in such a way that demonstrates clearly for everyone that he is our supreme love, our first love our superior love. Right, well, secondly, verses nineteen and twenty, uh, the Lord helps Moses by judging his past opponents. I just referenced this in verse nineteen. Uh, that, uh, now, the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, uh, "So go, uh, sorry, go back to Egypt. Uh, for all those who wanted to kill you, are dead." It's important to realise. In saying that, the Lord's not saying to Moses, "Okay, Moses, uh, now it's safe for you to go back to Egypt, right? Because all your enemies are dead." Right? We've just seen that this is uh, this is the Lord of life and death, the Lord who gives life and takes life away. He he, he doesn't need Moses' past enemies to be dead uh, for it to be safe for Moses to go back to Egypt. But the Lord is teaching Moses. Here. He's saying to Moses, "Uh, Moses, you you know those people who you were once threatened by, who who seem to be so powerful to hold the power of life and death in their own hands. Well, now they're all dead. I gave them life and I've taken their lives away. Uh, So Moses can return to Egypt now uh, with this confidence uh, that the Lord who has authority over life and death is with him. And that Lord is going to display his power through the staff of God that Moses takes with him. Verse 20. So third, in verse 21, the Lord helps Moses by warning him about his future opponent. The Lord says, your past opponents have been dealt with, but let me warn you about your future opponent. Verse 21. The Lord says, when you return to Egypt... I uh, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have given you the power to do. Right, you're reading this and you go, well, I thought the signs of verses 1 to 9 uh, were for the people of Israel. Right, it was to convince the Israelites that the Lord had appeared to Moses. Uh, but here we, we see that the signs aren't just for the unbelief of the Israelites. They're also for the unbelief of Pharaoh. But in the end, Pharaoh is going to be Moses' main problem. And so the Lord says to Moses, perform those signs before Pharaoh. Uh, But I want you to know, look at the next part of the verse, that I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let my people go. The Lord, who has authority uh, over every ear, over every mouth, and over every eye, uh, also has authority over every heart. The Lord has the power to soften people's hearts towards him and to harden people's hearts towards him. So why would the Lord harden Pharaoh's heart? Why would he cause Pharaoh to harden his own heart? Well, that's a very big question. And it's one that we'll be exploring as we walk our way through this section of the book of Exodus. But in the end, I think the answer is that the Lord wanted to make it abundantly clear that he, not Pharaoh, is the glorious Lord over all creation. The Lord wanted to put on display his full glory, the fullness of both his justice and his mercy. So ultimately, the Lord, Pharaoh rather, will be compelled by the Lord's mighty hand to let God's people go. And in doing so, uh, the Lord will be be able to put on display his mercy to his chosen people, the the, the people of Israel. Uh, At the same time, even once Pharaoh lets God's people go, uh, the Lord will harden his heart uh, so that he can put on display his justice, the glory of his justice of setting things right uh, as he punishes the evil of Pharaoh and his people. And the ultimate goal here is that the Lord would be glorified with, through both his justice and his mercy, through both softening hearts and hardening hearts. And we see this, as Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 17. Paul says, For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy upon his chosen people. And he hardens whom he wants to harden. And you might have more questions about that. We'll have to see you on the post-church soon. What's Moses supposed to say to Pharaoh when he's hardening his heart? Well, the Lord gives him words to say in verses 22 and 23. This is a big help to Moses. Uh, The Lord wants Moses to make it clear to Pharaoh uh, what Israel's identity is. And this is key. Israel uh, is not just some random people. Israel is God's firstborn son. Uh, Israel is God's chosen and precious child. That's their identity. And because that's their identity, uh, they're supposed to be giving themselves to a particular activity. uh, The activity uh, of worshipping the Lord, literally of serving the Lord. Not serving Pharaoh, uh, as they currently are in Egypt. Uh, So what's the Lord going to do? The Lord uh, is going to set his people free from their oppressive service of Pharaoh, uh, that they might experience uh, the incredible freedom of living a life of serving him. And he's going to do that. Moses says, "By oh, the Lord says to Moses, by putting on display His justice. By uh, justice, uh, the Egyptians have punished and killed the firstborn of Israel, Israel, His firstborn son. Uh, so also the Lord will punish and kill the firstborn sons of the Egyptians." Uh, this is a kind of fairly grim preview of the final plague that the Lord will send upon Egypt, uh, right before Pharaoh lets his people go. Uh, So Moses is on his way to Egypt. Uh, He's got Zipporah with him, his wife, and his two sons, Gershon and Eleazar. And then in verses 24 to 26, uh, we've got this really pretty confusing incident Uh, where the Lord helps Moses by saving him through Zipporah. Uh, There's lots of things that aren't clear in these verses, but I think what is clear uh, is that the Lord is angry with Moses uh, because he hasn't circumcised one of his sons, most likely Eliezer, uh, the youngest son. You might remember that in Genesis chapter 17, right after God had made his covenant promises to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, uh, in Genesis 17, God instituted circumcision as the outward physical sign of his covenant with his people. Uh, so God said that the terms of this covenant are that every Hebrew baby boy must be circumcised right, as a sign that they're a part of my people. So how can Moses, right, and Moses, who's going to be the, the leader of God's covenant people, how can he presume to be able to do that uh, if he's not even willing to fulfill the obligations of that covenant himself? Right, the Lord's angry here but because Moses is engaged in hypocrisy. The Lord hates hypocrisy in his leaders. Uh, this private matter of disobedience in Moses' life must be sorted out before he's fit to be the public leader of God's people. Right? If this isn't sorted out, Moses should not only be cut off from leadership of God's people, he should be cut off from God's people altogether, he and his son. Now, that's the symbol of circumcision, right? It's a symbol of being cut off. Now, how is it that this issues kind of slipped through for Moses? Well, it's not clear in the text, but I suspect it has something to do with Zipporah. I reckon Zipporah uh, probably tolerated it in the end when Moses insisted that their firstborn son Gershon be circumcised. Uh, but by the time Eliezer came along, she just couldn't tolerate it. Right? For her, it just seems so barbaric to, to take a flint knife to your baby boy. What kind of a lord would have a covenant that's sealed with blood like this? So when the Lord meets Moses in verse 24, when he appears to Moses like he had at the burning bush, it's like Zipporah knows straight away what the Lord's problem is. So she takes action straight away, cuts off the foreskin of Eliezer, and chucks it at Moses, at his body, at his feet. But notice that she's not happy about it. She says to Moses, You have become a bridegroom of blood to me. I hate being a part of this whole situation. i uh, being a part of this covenant that's sealed with blood. Zipporah hates that. Uh, which is why I think from this point on in the narrative, uh, we hear almost nothing about Zipporah. But if you talk to me for, for more than five minutes, you, you can't help but hearing something about Gabi. We don't hear much about Zipporah. In fact, uh, from the start of Exodus chapter 18, it seems like after this incident, Moses and Zipporah agree that it will be better for her and the two sons to go back to Jethro, because in Exodus 18 they're finally reunited. Now, This is not the main point of this passage at all, but it does tell us that it's very important who you marry if you're going to go into ministry. It's very important to think carefully about that. But still, despite Zipporah's mixed motives, uh, the Lord does use Zipporah uh, to save his chosen servant Moses. Finally, at the end of the chapter, in verses 27 to 31, uh, the Lord helps Moses uh, by providing him with Aaron. Uh, and this is just really a wonderful fulfilment of the Lord's promise back in verses 14 to 16. Aaron meets Moses. They, uh, Moses tells Aaron all the words that the Lord had said to, to speak to the people of Israel. Uh, he shows him all the signs that they're to perform. Uh, they gather the elders of Israel together. Uh, Aaron speaks all the words of the Lord. Moses performs all the signs of the Lord. Uh, And just as the Lord promised, the people of Israel listen and understand and and believe. The summary of today's passage, the Lord uh, patiently answers and helps Moses, his chosen but reluctant servant. Uh, And we've seen on the way through, of course, that the Lord uh, patiently helps us too, doesn't he? And not through his chosen but reluctant servant, but through the Lord Jesus Christ, the the greater Moses, his chosen but willing servant. Uh, The Lord Jesus, uh, who always humbly and willingly did the will of his Father all the way to his death on the cross. Never questioning, never objecting, never stubbornly resisting and certainly never acting in disobedience. Are uh, Taking up not the humble and weak instrument of his staff, but the humble and weak instrument of his cross. Uh, that he might redeem us by his blood on the cross from our oppressive slavery to sin. Uh, that we might become God's chosen and precious children. Uh, who can have the uh, joyous and satisfying experience of serving our God now and forever. The Lord has helped us through his chosen and willing servant, our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that we should respond to this incredible act of help, of salvation, that the Lord has worked in our lives, that the Lord has worked for us? Well, first we respond by listening to the Lord's call to salvation. Humbly and willingly listening to his call to salvation. His call to salvation that comes to you even now as I preach this good news of the gospel to you. The good news that you can become a chosen and precious child of God. Uh, because God uh, gave uh, Christ, his, uh, his son, for you, for your sins. right? The, the firstborn over all creation. Uh, that you might become his chosen and precious child. Now let me encourage you today. Do not put God on do not disturb. I understand that if you put your trust in Christ, if you listen to the Lord's call to salvation, it may well turn your life upside down. It might disrupt and disturb many of your hopes and dreams and ambitions. But let me tell you, you won't be disappointed. You won't miss out. For entrusting in Christ, you'll find a freedom and joy and hope and meaning and purpose that you've never known before. Listen to the Lord's call to salvation. Uh, And listen to the Lord's call to service. Many of you today are are Christians, you're listening to this, you've heard the Lord's call to salvation. Let me urge you to listen to the Lord's call to service. Maybe uh, as we've been looking at this passage today, the Lord's been uh, prompting you about some particular way in which he wants you to serve him. Maybe you want to join a ministry team in our church. Listen to that call. Maybe the Lord's been saying, uh, why don't you start a new ministry? It's a ministry that's been on your mind for some time and you've just been making excuses and coming up with every objection under the sun. Let me encourage you to listen to the Lord's call. Maybe the Lord's prompting you to do a ministry apprenticeship, to test your gifts for full-time gospel ministry. You've been pushing it aside. You've been saying, oh, that had caused too much disturbance and how could I possibly take that pay cut and how would everything work out on the family front? Let me encourage you to listen to the Lord's call. Maybe the Lord's urging you to take the gospel to the nations and to be a part of his work of taking the blessing he promised to Abraham, to all the peoples on earth. And let me encourage you to listen to that call. I'm sure you might have questions, genuine questions, genuine objections, genuine reasons why you're not sure if you're the person for the job. By all means, talk those questions through with God, with me with a trusted Christian friend. But do not put the Lord on do not disturb. But the Lord who gave his life for you, right you, you can follow that Lord uh, wherever he might call you to go, to do whatever he might call you to do. Let's pray. Uh, our gracious Father, we thank you for this, your word. Uh, we pray this day that you would give us ears to hear it, Uh, As we've read in the passage, you are the Lord who's sovereign over all these things. Uh, Please give us ears that are uh, able to hear your word. Uh, Please give us eyes that are able to see uh, what you're calling us to. Uh, That we might truly listen to your call to salvation uh, and listen to your call to service. Uh, For the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.